Excuse me. Thank you for coming back tonight, and thank you to everyone who participated in our service this evening. Let me give you a couple of updates concerning the prayer request that we made this morning. First of all, Karen Schiff uh, is anticipated coming, uh, being released from the hospital uh, tomorrow, so we're thankful for that. And uh, Ruth Miller, uh, Judy's mother, um, was diagnosed with a urinary tract infection and also a sinus infection, and she is at uh, Judy's home, so we're thankful that uh, she's on antibiotics and looks like that will be uh, the end of that, so we're, we're grateful for God's provision. Tonight we are continuing our studies in the book of Revelation, looking at the church at Thyatira has been our practice. We start by looking at the description of Christ. And uh, Jesus is described as the Son of God. And to the angel of the church, Thyatira, write the sons, the words of the Son of God. It is only here in the book of Revelation that Jesus is referred to as the Son of God. So the question is, why here? Why would... Uh, only in this place Jesus be referred to as the Son of God. I have hold that thought because we just don't want to jump to some kind of conclusion. We want to see in the text what is the significance of Jesus being referred to as the Son of God. Uh, Jesus is described as one who has gone through an ordeal. That is a purifying process. It says in 2.18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, whose eyes were like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. If you look at the revelation that's given to us of Christ in Revelation 1.14 and following, it says this, The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze. And then it says this, refined in a furnace. So what we are to get from this burnished bronze is that this is a, a purified bronze as a result of having gone through a, a very uh, intense, heated process through a fiery furnace. Then that purifying process reveals his faithfulness and adherence to the truth in his sacrificial death. For in John chapter nine, uh, excuse me, Revelation chapter 19, it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written which no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. I believe that to be his own blood. It's referring to the sacrifice. And uh, as that one who... Uh, offered himself in sacrifice for our sins is indeed faithful and true. Philippians says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is described as one who sees the evil will make war with and judge his enemies. Revelation 2.18 says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, 
the words of the Son of God, now these words, who has eyes like a flame of fire. Again, that's given to us in the Revelation found in verse 14 of chapter 1. And then again in Revelation 19.11. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it, called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes wars. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Uh, so uh, the wrath of God is seen in his eyes as he looks upon the evil of this earth, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. We'll talk about that a little more later on. Christ's assessment of the church at Thyatira. It begins with a positive assessment. Christ's positive assessment of the church is found in these four descriptive words or terms. It says, I know your works, that is, your love, then faith, then if you look at the uh, next underlining, same verse, service, and then lastly, patient endurance. And we can look at all those tonight, but I'm, I'm not going to do so. I believe they're pretty self-evident. Uh, these are very positive uh, statements of, concerning the state of the, of the church. Uh, they have love, they have faith, they have service, and they have patient endurance. Uh, number two, but uh, Christ is well aware of the praises and praises the church for its spiritual progress. For in addition to those things, it says, I know that your works, your love, faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Out of all of the descriptive positive statements about the church, I think that is the most positive, for it is in their spiritual growth and progress that the church at Thyatira is distinguished. Uh, that is unique to that particular church, uh, the way that they have, have grown, matured, developed, so that now their state is better than it was at the outset. They have made great spiritual progress. Unlike, for example, the church at Ephesus that had left their first love, where it said concerning the church at Ephesus, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at the first. Not said of this church at Thyatira. They're making good spiritual progress. Nevertheless, Christ does have a negative assessment of the church at Thyatira as well. Uh, they have allowed a false prophetess to negatively influence the church. Revelation 2.20, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants. The prophetess is referred to as Jezebel, and most commentators are agreed that this was not her given name. In other words, this prophet's name was not actually Jezebel, but number one, rather, this is the descriptive name given to her to describe the character and activity of this woman. She is a Jezebel, if you will, a traitor, in our vernacular, is sometimes called a Benedict Arnold uh, because of the activity of Benedict Arnold during the Revolutionary War. 
So now, when we talk about a traitor, we might refer to them as a Benedict Arnold. Well, I'm saying to you that this prophetess is a Jezebel because of her activities being similar to the Jezebel of the Old Testament. So let's go back and look at the Jezebel of the Old Testament to find out the comparisons. Jezebel of the Old Testament was the wife of the wicked king Ahab. Ahab did much evil, according to 1 Kings 16.30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Ahab had married Jezebel, 16.31. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Esbael, king of Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And uh, Ahab indeed worshipped Baal, verse 32. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. So uh, he was involved in this idolatrous worship. And Ahab had done great wickedness because of the influence of his wife Jezebel. 1 Kings 21, 25. There was none who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. Or, uh, as said in the King James, uh, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. So Jezebel was the one that was pulling the strings behind Ahab. The reason that Ahab was a wicked a king as he was was because he married Jezebel, and Jezebel had a tremendously negative influence upon Ahab. So the point of referring to this so-called prophetess as Jezebel is that as Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, stirred him up to do wickedness, in like manner, this prophetess stirred the church up to do wickedness. The church has been married to her in the sense that they have tolerated and been committed to her. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. Uh, she's not a true prophetess. She doesn't speak for God. And uh, the sanction against the church is, but you allow her to speak. You tolerate her. Uh, you put up with her ungodly influence. And as a result, she has stirred up the church through her teaching, as Jezebel stood up, stirred up Ahab through her words. Revelation 2.20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching, and is seducing my servants. So she's instructing uh, the people of God uh, in the church at Thyatira. And three, she's causing the church to do evil, as Jezebel caused Ahab to do evil. Uh, that evil is described at the end of verse 20, in the underlying verse, verse to practice sexual immorality, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Uh, let me just point out here that as we, we look at this idea of the food sacrificed to idols, uh, we know that the scripture tells us in Corinthians that um, whether you eat meat offered to idols is, is really um, insignificant, for we know no such thing uh, as idols. So why is that such a, a judgment here in uh, the book of Revelation for this woman to, to teach about uh, eating food 
that is sacrifice to idols. Well, again, if you think about the reverence, reference to Jezebel, uh, Jezebel was encouraging the worship of Baal. And evidently that they had developed a, a thought process in Thyatira that uh, in some way eating this food that was sacrificed to idols would bring about health or prosperity or some kind of benefit, which was the original thought that people had when they were offering food that was sacrificed to idols. They thought that it would bring to the, about some spiritual help or benefit. And she is teaching that in the church of Thyatira. They're putting up with it. And as a result, it's leading them away from God and producing these uh, other actions of uh, sexual immorality, etc., that goes along with the false teaching. So E, both the manner and the form of Jezebel stirring up the church is given to us in verse 20. So now we look at Christ's warning to the church. Uh, Christ is giving her, that is Jezebel, and then ultimately the church, time to repent, but she refuses. Revelation 2.21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Christ will bring judgment upon her and her followers. Behold, I will throw her on into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their works. Um, I would just say that that's not the great uh, tribulation, but rather just great tribulation, meaning a lot of hardship, difficulty, etc., unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. So then there is this word of encouragement. To those who are faithful, God will cause to rule over the nations. The one who conquers and who keeps my words unto the end, to him will I give authority over the nations. Christ will completely rule over his enemies and cause them to come to nothing. Verse 27, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself received authority from the Lord, from my Father. Christ will conquer as a result of the authority given to him by his Father, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Well, that's the, the passage, but uh, now I, I want to look a little more closely at this encouragement for, I, I think it's, uh, significant. So A, remember it was only this passage that the title Son of God is used in the book of Revelation. Back to Revelation 2.18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God. The emphasis is the authority that the Father has given to the Son. Notice Revelation 2.27. And he will rule over them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. It's talking about uh, the Son of God in his earthly ministry and the way that all authority was given unto him. Uh, as the second person of the Trinity, of course, all authority already belongs to him. 
but it was the unique uh, work of the Father to give all authority to the Son as a result of his victory in his sacrifice on the cross. That's why I cited Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, because of his death on the cross, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee would bow. Of things in heaven and things of earth uh, and things under the earth. Uh, to the glory of God the Father. Our passage talks about how we'll be given a new name. Uh, this name of, of authority, of power, is given to the resurrected Lord. That's why his robe is dipped in blood. Uh, it, and then he's given this diadem in Revelation chapter 19, speaking of the authority that's given to him because of his sacrifice and his conquering over the nations. <clears throat> See, there is in our text a clear allusion to Psalm 2, Revelation 2.27. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Psalm 2 verse 9 says, You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So we have this allusion to Psalm chapter 2 verse 9. And as I've been saying, I think one of the real keys to the book of Revelation is looking at all these Old Testament allusions to give us the understanding. The, it is anticipated that uh, when the reader reads these allusions, they are able to go, aha, and their mind immediately goes back to these Old Testament references, such as the Jezebel. But uh, it may not be as easy for us to go back to those Old Testament references. So we're going to now look at Psalm 2, because the whole psalm in Psalm 2 bears uh, an impact on our understanding of this message to the church at Thyatira. Uh, all of Psalm 2 is applicable, as we will see. First, the psalm begins with the futility of the nations rejecting Christ's authority. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Though they rebel against uh, Christ and against God, they are going to do so in vain. It, they are helpless. Number two, the kings, like King Ahab, have rejected the authority of God and his son. Psalm 2, 2. The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So they try to reject the authority of uh, God and his son. Three, God nor his people, it are all threatened by the nations coming against God the Father and his son. Psalm chapter two, verse four, he who sits in the heavens last, the Lord holds them in derision. Uh, so uh, God's people who are uh, sitting in the heavens find it amusing that these nations are coming against them. They're not frightened, they're not fearful. Uh, they realize that uh, it's fruitless. God will warn the rebellious and demonstrate his wrath. Psalm 2, verse 5. Then he will speak to them in his wrath 
and terrify them in his fury, saying, Five, God causes his son to be rule, to rule over the nations. Psalm 2, 6, and 7. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So you are my son. Today I have begotten you. That's why the only place in the book of Revelation he's referred to as the Son of God. It's a direct allusion to Psalm 2. Psalm 2, 8, 9. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel, which again is quoted in Revelation chapter 2. God gives the rebellious kings time to repent, as he did Jezebel and her followers. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. Take the admonition, take the rebuke, take the instruction. Revelation 2.21, I gave her time to repent. They are to love and pay homage to the Son of God. Psalm 2, verse 12, kiss the Son. Uh, Love the Son. Honor the Son. Eight, those who refuse will be destroyed, lest he be angry, that is the Son, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. So be aware, be warned. Uh, kiss the Son, honor the Son, worship the Son. If you fail to do so, you're going to perish. You're going to be destroyed like this pottery that's broken in pieces, like what is described in Revelation chapter 19. Those who worship the Son will be blessed. Psalm 2, verse 12, Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So Revelation 2, 25 to 27 states, Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give authority over the nations. For the emphasis is that this Christ is going to rule over the nations. It's looking at the future when Jesus Christ returns to this earth and indeed rules over the nations. The promise is to those that are, are faithful to God, you are going to rule with him. Verse 27, he ruled them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. That's why the Son of God. He has received this authority. And the reason he received this authority is because of his sacrificial death and conquering sin and evil. His robes are dipped in blood. But he has a diadem. He has a crown. He is going to reign over the nations. Lastly, the people of God will have the last laugh over their enemies. Psalm 2, verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. So, to the church at Thyatira, 
the, the warning is uh, recognize Jezebel for the false prophetess that she is. Uh, don't follow her. Uh, don't listen to her. Uh, don't let her stir you up to do evil as the Jezebel stirred up Ahab to do evil. And this king rebelled up against God. And he worshipped Baal. And the concern is that the church would actually begin to rebel against God by refusing his authority, by engaging in sexual immorality and the worship of false gods through the eating of meat that is sacrificed to idols. But it will come to no avail because no one can overcome or uh, subdue uh, the Lord Jesus Christ for he conquers over all. Uh, he is not afraid. Uh, he sits in heaven, laughs at those that would rebel against him. And uh, we need to understand uh, how we are not to fear uh, those that would uh, lead us astray or would uh, rise up in rebellion against Christ, but realize that uh, he indeed is going to conquer. Uh, we are going to reign with him. And so we are to uh, follow him, acknowledge him, worship him as Psalm who says, kiss him. Uh, we are to love him. And we're to appreciate who he is and what he has done. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the great victory that he has wrought for us in his death and resurrection. How you have raised him far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Lord, you have put all things under his feet. Yet, we do not yet see all things put under him. But one day he is going to come, he's going to return. And indeed, he is going to reign over this earth with a rod of iron. Give us the confidence in that reign. Help us, Lord, to, to love the Lord Jesus, to express our appreciation for what he has done, to remain faithful to him, uh, not to be drawn away by false teaching, uh, not to be allured by uh, people that would uh, in any way reject the authority of Christ. May we realize that in them... We have nothing to fear, uh, for uh, they are going to be uh, smashed uh, like uh, pottery into pieces. Uh, and indeed, the Lord Jesus will reign. So, Lord, guard us. Thank you. Help us to make a spiritual progress in our lives. And at the same time, uh, to be on guard against uh, false teaching. And that would, would lead us astray uh, from what we should be before you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. And uh, we are dismissed.